Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 73. It is the first week of July, first full week of July 2021. So we're in the back half of 2021 already, if you can believe that. Um, Man, um, you know what I did this weekend, folks? I took the grocery getter, the streetcar, the 2019 Camaro um, racing this weekend. I just needed a fix. I don't know if you've ever been that way, but I needed the fix. I needed uh, just to to put this thing in the beams, get back to the track in a competitive mode a little bit. Um, I'm still, we have still a few things that need to get done on my race car and uh, progressing nicely, but just not quite there. And so I wanted to... uh, uh, try on the new safety gear and just kind of go through the the routine a little bit. A little bit disappointing. I lost in a double breakout in the first round, and then there were no buybacks. So it is what it is there. But uh, you know, got a little taste. That was okay. Um, driving home got interesting because on the drive home, I was in the left lane, hurrying home. I don't know if you've ever done that. Was a little disappointed at uh, my effort. So I was in a hurry to get home. Uh, In the left lane, um, going to pass a truck, or a semi, I should say. And then I saw the lights coming up behind me incredibly fast. And I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to practice what I preach, which is get my butt into the right lane when somebody is coming fast from the left lane. I did that. Um, You know, it was late at night. Uh, No worries that that car went past me, I proceeded then to pull out behind them and follow them through. And at that point, then I got the flash of the cherries from the state trooper that had just went past me, um, which I can only assume means that they, that that uh, state Indiana state trooper was just thanking me. Um, I obviously was thanking me for all the attention that I have given to the you know the problem left lane slow drivers this year. I, I'm assuming that that's what they were doing is thanking me for my hard work and doing all that because you know, just a little little blip of the cherry there saying, hey, thank you, Rex, for giving this problem the attention that it deserves and you know getting everyone to move out of the left lane if they're not going to pass someone. So I thought that was nice. Um, you know, just took that little tip of the hat, the uh, the blip of the cherries from the Indiana State Trooper, and then, you know, moved back into the right lane, hung out for a little while, and then made my way home. So that was good. Um, you know, obviously, a good way to end the night with a little appreciation from our, our State Trooper folks. Um, then, of course, it was the 4th of July, and man, I hope you guys celebrated like I did. We celebrated the fact that 245 years ago, the greatest group of dudes ever got together to write the Constitution. I mean, these guys were epic. It was arguably, and I don't even know if there's an argument for it, another group. It was the smartest group of guys ever to get together and put something put something so epic in place. I mean, think about the odds of all of those guys getting together, all having their peace and crafting crafting the constitution in such a way that has given us this economic experiment um, that it was. I mean, and think about it. If any of that didn't happen, if any one of those guys didn't get in that room, we wouldn't be living under the greatest government experiment, the economic experiment that is the United States of all time. I mean, for sure, it is getting screwed up now. Um, There's no doubt about that. Um, And that is with it being written perfectly. I mean, imagine if it wasn't as well written. Imagine if it wasn't crafted just perfectly with by that group. The crooks, er, I mean, politicians would have messed it up long before any of us were alive today. But because they didn't, you know, we we have the ability, hopefully, to right the ship from here on out. Although. 
man, it is getting rough and getting, it's just getting perverted, uh, the Constitution as it stands. But, you know, those dudes had had enough. They had had enough of being taxed to death. They had uh, had enough of not being represented by the governors um, and the leadership of the, you know, England at the time. And they thought they should be able to say whatever they wanted. And because they wanted to be able to continue to say whatever they wanted and have their voices heard, they allowed us to have guns so we could stop the government from telling us we couldn't say exactly what we wanted. Um, So in either event, I hope you enjoyed the weekend and I hope you enjoy and appreciate what it took to have these freedoms today and what our holiday actually represents. Um, So that was good. Good weekend for me and I hope it was a good weekend for all of you as well. Also last week, man, the most 2020 move of all of 2021 The ocean caught fire. Uh, There was a Mexican gas pipeline leaked. I guess that caught fire. Man, if you have seen the pics for that, it is absolutely wild. I never thought in my lifetime that I would say the ocean caught fire. And here we are. Also, and you you probably guessed this already because I've spoken about it, but the head of NASA said that he believes in aliens and that they're out there. So we got all of that going for us. Um, We got all of that going. We kind of flirted with what was 2020 last week as well as having uh, 4th of July. So that said, let's go ahead and try to leave 2020 in the past and get to today's episode. And I am really fired up to have these two incredible guests on. First of all, T.G. Pascal, he is... Your current top dragster, 32, PDRA points leader, uh, arguably the hottest driver in the country right now in the most competitive class. Really excited to have him on. And then Travis Shoemake, a soon-to-be Nitro Funny Car pilot, joins us. Uh, We talked a little bit about him last week, and he was gracious enough to come on and continue that conversation. So guys, girls, get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute, clean your shop, work on that old heap, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get these things hot. Let's put it in the water box. And um, as uh, some of you already knew, the IHRA adds an electric class uh, for this year, actually. So um, they wasted no time getting on that uh, bandwagon, I would say, and added the electric class um, for this year. So we'll see how that turns out. Again, I am not sold on the electric cars in general, and it is not because I don't think they can wind up massive torque. Um, They absolutely can. Um, But I do believe it is mostly all about control for the car manufacturers. Now, remember, going back to our conversation earlier about the Founding Fathers, they did not want people to have control over us all the time. And I am worried that the car manufacturers are doing this precisely because they want control of us, where we go, when we do it. Keep in mind, just a few weeks ago, so there was a heat wave in Texas. Um, Some of you were there. A lot of listeners are down in Texas. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a heat wave and the the power grid came out and said, hey, we would really love it if you turned your thermostats up and reduced the energy stress on the grid just a little bit. Some people did, some people didn't. Um, you know, they are paying for that activity. So, you know, whatever, to make your own decisions. However, unbeknownst to some of the homeowners that had very specific um thermostats in their house, um, the Texas power grid, because they were running low on power, just decided remotely 
that they would turn the thermostats up on those homes from 72 to 82. So imagine that. Imagine setting your thermostat to, let's call it 72 degrees, going to work, having your pets in your house, whatever it might be, coming home to find your AC set at 82 degrees. That is exactly what happened to thousands of Texans several weeks ago. They all had these new and improved AC units that unbeknownst to the homeowner allowed the power company to override the set temperature of the house. That is extremely scary in my opinion. Now, I I don't know if there were any deaths. I don't know if there were any major tragedies at all. But the fact that they could do that and did do that without gaining uh, knowledge and or permission by the homeowner is uh, not great. Let's just say that. Not great. And that's what the push for electric cars is all about, in my opinion. I mean, if everyone is driving an electric car and they want to lock us down again, simply turn the power supplies off remotely. I mean, they are absolutely capable of doing that. It's not like we all don't know that diesel generators are the ones that are powering up these charging stations for the electric cars. So it's not like fossil fuels aren't going to be used moving forward. They simply will have more control over us if they need that function. Now, I do not blame the NHRA or the IHRA for adding these classes in any way, shape, or form. The auto manufacturers are making them do that. And we want to hot rod them. And the HRAs give us a place to do that safely, which is fantastic. My issue is that really there is tech out there that is making the internal combustion engines much more efficient and much more powerful than ever before. The tech is there to make four-cylinder engines with turbos and 15-speed auto transmissions really be efficient and powerful. We just need to keep pushing for that. This push to the electric vehicle is is unfounded but for the control factor that we just talked about. So, for example, the F1 series, and I don't really follow that at all, but they are cutting-edge tech, just like just like ProStock is cutting-edge tech for uh, natural aspirated stuff. The F1 just announced that they will be moving towards a partially electronic engine for the 2025 season. I guess that's good. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming they would still have that remote ability if everybody went partially electric, but... My understanding is that F1 is going to a combo of an electronically boosted twin turbo aligned with a V6 engine. So if F1 cars can run on a V6 twin turbo and and produce the power that they are producing, we can probably get by with a V6 twin turbo charged grocery getter. I I would guess we're going to be just fine with that power volume. Um, in the series, the F1 series, this is, I thought was interesting, has indicated that their fan base is actually getting younger. And that's, that's big news. If you ask me for motorsports in general, um, and it mostly has to do with the tech side of the sport and not necessarily from the pure noise and speed of the sport. So I think that's interesting for our sport as well, that the younger crowd is not necessarily just interested in the noise or the speed, they're interested in the tech. So I thought that was an interesting take and potentially a good compromise that continues to push the limits of what is capable to both appease the fan base and the drive inside of all of us to push the limits of the machine. Additionally, there's some really cool other internal combustion engines that are really showing promise that dwarfs the small cylinder turbo setup. Um, there's this thing called the opposing piston engines, which I'm sure some of you are aware of that are showing some amazing fuel and smog efficiency uh, results. And then there's this thing that I, I did some research on earlier this week called the liquid piston engine. And that is uh, something that looks extremely promising, uh, meaning that it's even better than the opposing piston stuff. 
Um, the liquid piston is really like a rotary engine, at least uh, that's the way I understand it. Uh, but it has less moving parts than the rotary engine and so far has shown that it can be linked to an electric motor when cruising for even greater fuel efficiency. So the tech is out there for us to continue to use internal combustion engines, have control over our own ability, not let the car manufacturers turn our cars off when and if they please, and still be cognizant that there is an environmental concern out there. And, and again, the data is very clear. It's not passenger cars. It's certainly not drag race cars that is the problem with uh, creating the environment. It is big fisher fishes, or fisher boats um, that have these huge engines that create huge amount of pollution. Um, but something like the liquid piston, if those were put in uh, diesel trucks that... Uh, you know, that we're pulling, hauling all the freight across the country, trains, things like that. That is really where the major grounds and efficiency are going to be made. Not in, not in uh, grandma's passenger car and certainly not in, in our top dragster in, uh, you know, super stock and stock classes. In either event, I understand exactly why the HRAs are being hounded by the auto, auto manufacturers to add these classes. And I'm trying my absolute best to get on with it. But I'll be even more excited when these other more efficient internal combustion engines get the same treatment. Um, there are a lot of ways to go about this. You know, there's a lot of ways to go about uh, skinning this cat, so to speak. Um, that's a terrible phrase that I've had in my head for a long time. And I'm sure some of you as well. But um, there are a lot of ways to go about this thing. And I'm disappointed, I think, that it has gone entirely to electric vehicles when there are a lot of ways to get after it. So, you know, there are a lot of different inventions. Of course, those inventors, those guys that are working on the, the opposing piston engines, those guys that are working on the liquid piston engine, they need to be very careful that they don't end up getting Stanley mired when they do finally get it done. All right, let's put this thing in the beams right now. Man, I'm excited to have this guy on with us. Uh, on with us now. A former big money bracket race winner. He is your current PDRA top sportsman 32 points leader. The hottest drag racer on the planet right now from the Cleansville, North Carolina. TG Pascal. TG, how are you, my man? I'm good, Rex. How you doing? Well, I'm good, but I am not nearly as good as you because every time you have lined it up this year, you have been a threat, and most of the time you are earning those win lights. Yeah, I mean you got you got to definitely have a little bit of luck on your side, and I mean we've we've had a pretty successful year so far. Just uh, just hope to keep it going. Yeah, I would say that successful is a little bit of an understatement. I mean, you are you're you're racking up win lights in what I believe is is arguably the toughest class in all of uh, you know top sportsmen and top track. You've got top dragster in that thirty two where they're just killer after killer, um, and you're doing it. But before we get into the what I think is the how and and the why of what you're doing. Let's go way back. Let's take our listeners way, way back and talk about the first time you strapped in and how, how did you get started in drag racing? Uh, my mom's dad, my grandpa, Glenn Ferguson, he uh, he got started back in, back in the early 70s. And when my mom and dad met, which was back in the early 80s, you know, my dad kind of picked up on it. And uh, so, I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of for sure thing we were, me and my two brothers, we were going to get into it ourselves. So, I mean, all three of us been around it our entire lives. And uh, back in, I think, Christmas of 97, my dad got us a junior dragster. So, I got, I got, actually got started racing back in 98. So, I, I've been at it for a little over 20 years now. 
And and have you been in the the dragster? You've been a dragster pilot since day one. Uh, no, actually, after I got out of juniors, um, I actually started in my dad's door car, which is a '65 Falcon. I actually started running in Top Eliminator at 15 years old at a local track, and uh, third race out, third third time I've ever been in the car. I uh, I won a four thousand dollar race up at Farmington Dragway. So that's that's how I got started was in a door car and just over time driving different people's cars and uh finally finally purchased my own car back about five, six years ago, which was a which was a dragster at the time and recently got rid of it two years ago and bought the one I've got now. Yeah, you were like a lot of us bit early, right? I mean you, you win a, a four grander early on in your life and uh, man, it, it feels like there's nothing else you want to do on the planet, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely been, I've definitely been hooked on it since day one. Like I said, I've been around since the day I was born. And I mean, growing up like through high school, I didn't care about playing no sports. You know, I just, I wanted to race. That's all, that's all I knew. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah, that, uh, uh, that, that's, uh, I, I know the feeling and, um, and I know a lot of our listeners do as well. So, um, you mentioned that you, you, um, bought this new car here fairly recent, a couple years ago. Is, is that the car that you're winning in right now? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I bought it, uh, the beginning of last year and, uh, just wanted to, just wanted to get something a little newer and, you know, something I could, I could put a little more power to. And, uh, and I mean, ever since I've had the car, man, I've had great success with it. Yeah. Walk us through that a little bit. Who, who's the chassis builder and you know, what type of power plant do you have? Uh, so it's a 2012, uh, race tech dragster. Uh, those guys are actually about 20 minutes from me, uh, race tech race cars in Burlington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Chris Ding from Ding's performance down in Sanford, North Carolina. He does, um, he does all my engine work. Um, he's actually been building my motors for about three years now. And I mean, I can honestly say since, since I've been with him, I've had zero issues. I mean, I've not, I've not broke anything as much as a rocker arm on my engines. And I mean, it's just, he's hands down one of the best guys out there. I feel like you might've just jinxed yourself just for the record. I don't think we should be saying that out loud anymore. (laughs) Well, I'm going to knock on wood right now. (laughs) Right. There you go. There you go. Uh, and what, what size power plant does, uh, Chris build for you? Uh, it's a 632 SR20. Okay. Yep. And, and spraying that or, or what, uh, what are you doing besides just, uh, or is that, is there on its own or are you spraying it a little bit? No, we got a, we just got a 250 shot on there. We just spray for about 2.3, 2.4 seconds, you know, on motor, it'll go, it'll go forties in the heat and then, you know, in, in good air when it's cool outside and the air is real good. I mean, it'll, It'll go go down in the thirties, but you know the last few PDRA races that I've been to, I mean it'll it takes low to mid thirties just to make the field. So I mean I I need a little bit of help to make sure I get in. Sure, yeah, it's that's amazing, right? I mean you think about it, um, and mostly what or what you've you've had your success in is the PDRA thirty two car field, which is really um, forty eight car field and thirties our, our uh, coin flip on whether you'll make it in. I mean, is that amazing to you? Because it's amazing to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, i tell you, some of those guys are, I mean, they're hauling the mail, like, you know, like the elite. I think the last two or three races for the elite field has been, like, mid-380s to get in the field. And I mean, I've, I've not got enough motor and don't particularly care to go that quick. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely you definitely got to be, be hauling the mail to make sure you qualify, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's fascinating, and I don't think any of those guys would ever um, utter the phrase that they haven't, you know, broken a rock in their arms or anything like that. Um, <laughs> you know, to try to do that. I mean, those those guys are uh, they're they're doing a lot more maintenance, and as well as they have to, right, to to run that um, those speeds. Oh, yeah, but sure. uh, but I I think you know, I, and I've made this argument before that your class is is the most competitive. I mean, just from the standpoint that, you know, to your point, um, 
the SR20 632 is a great engine and, it, and it's certainly not basic by any means but it is right. um, but but it's not a it's not an 825 or uh you know a 90 uh you know 959 or something like that right it's a standard bore uh block and and what most people can get their arms around um and so you would right. think that class would have people and it'd be very diverse in terms of the winning um and somehow you have uh you you've Michael Jordan all those guys kind of smacked them around a little bit this year. What's the what's the secret to your success? You think? Uh, just mainly, you just need to go up there. I mean, you got to you definitely got to know your car. Um, just go up there and try to hit the tree the best you can every time, and get down there and drive the finish line as tight as you can. You know, just make the make the right decisions at the right time. Yeah, that's uh. Easier said than done. I know. I know you're a humble guy, so oh, you're not. You know, you're not trying to. But easier said than done, right? Oh yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, you know, most weekends when I'm bracket racing, you know, like I said, running, which it don't that don't sound like a big difference going from four forties to running four twenties. But I mean, when you get out there and and you leave and that nitrous kicks on, I mean, you can feel it, and yeah. it just yeah, you know, it, it changes it changes your mind up a little bit going down the track. But you know, you, you ain't got as much time to make a decision when you get to the finish line but yeah i mean it's it's definitely it's a diff, different different playing field there but but uh i mean i have fun with it either way i go whether i'm bracket racing or pdre racing right yeah i mean when we explain to just guys that aren't drag racers you know to the average casual fan that the difference of two tenths of a second is a big deal and we can really feel that um, you know, most people wouldn't right. wouldn't be able to get their head around that, and yet, to your point, it is it's a it's a big uh, difference maker, right? In how the race even feels to you. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, when, when I'm running on motor, I mean, yes, of course, the car is pulling, it's pulling all the way down the track, and the way we've got the nitrous set up on my car, you know, it'll cut on about six or seven tenths out, and you'll feel it kick on, and then right around half track or a little bit after half track you'll feel it just, you'll feel the nitrous shut off and it just feels like the car just falls on its face. <laughs> and then the man just, it makes it, it makes it a little bit trickier to, to drive in the strike down there as you're losing momentum coming up to it. Yeah. You're, you're only going down to like uh what? 1100 horse. Is that what you, it's really falling on its face to only 1100 horse or something around those. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes sense. Um, well, uh, talk to us a little bit about um, like who all goes with you when you when you're going to the track and and how that how that works around the track and uh, you know who's all with you when you when you go to to these PDR races. Uh, just about every about every race we go to, whether it's PDRA or you know just regular bracket races. Uh, my wife Jessica, um, my kids, uh, which my oldest two kids, they don't go as much. They're not as as quite as hooked on it as my youngest two but uh my youngest two i mean they're they're ate up with it you know that's that's all they study but yeah most of every weekend it's it's the wife and the kids every weekend i mean it'd be hard to do it without them yeah how how old are your youngest then are they are they getting into the juniors like you did or or just or begging dad to get them one yet <laughs> oh yeah they're my my youngest daughter she's uh she's five and I mean, she's she's ready for one right now. <laughs> and yeah, my youngest, my little boy, he's uh, he just he's fixing to turn two this next month. And uh, I mean, he'll, when, when, you know, when we're not at the track, I mean, he's he's sitting in the living room watching. I mean, he'll he'll watch back, you know, reruns of Motor Mania or any any kind of any kind of drag racing. He's he'll sit in the living room and just sit there and watch that for hours. I absolutely love it. Yeah, you're you're going to be in trouble. Like your your days are numbered in that seat. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, so you got the family going and um and uh, the whole the whole crew's there. You're, you said your oldest are uh, doing other stuff. Is that right? They're they're pretty active doing other things. Yeah, they uh, they they usually go up to a uh, local track near me. Um, my oldest daughter, she's 14. She'll go up there and run. They've got like a like a teen street class where teenagers are able to ride with an adult. 
and uh, run street cars. Okay. And she actually, last year was actually her first year trying it. And uh, she actually won the track championship at, at that track last year. I think that so, was yeah, easy money. Yeah, that was easy money for anybody betting on that, right? That, that's easy money. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's TG's daughter. Yeah, for sure. She's uh, she's the front runner. Um, well, that's got to make you proud, Dad. That's got to be good stuff, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, every, everybody in my family, when it comes to racing, we're, we're about as competitive as it gets. I, I like it. Yeah, she's going to be um, begging for your seat. She's going to be like, well, I'm the champ. Like, uh, you know, let, let me <laughs> let me take a piece of that, right? I, I like it. Yeah, it won't be long. They'll be, they'll be trying to get in it. Yeah, I'm sure. So from that standpoint, you got a lot of, uh, you, you know, you got a lot of action that way. What's, what was your plan at the beginning of the year in terms of what you wanted to race and, and what you wanted to accomplish? Did you set some goals at the beginning of the year? Yeah, the main goal after, you know, usually at the beginning of every year, I mean, I'll, I'll put together a bunch of schedules and kind of see what's going on here and there, you know, every weekend. And uh, I got to looking at the schedule at the beginning of the year and seeing, you know, the, the PDR didn't really conflict with as many, bra- you know, big money bracket races as it did like last year because I was planning to run the PDR last year and it just interfered with so many big money races. I said, well, so maybe we'll try it next year. And I actually, I told my wife this past winter, I said, I said, I just, I want to do something different this year. I said, let's, let's just go ahead and just run the PDRA and try to win a world championship just one time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was, that was our goal from, from, you know, like I said, this past winter. So, I mean, that's, we set out to try to win the world championship and hopefully we'll be able to pull it off. Well, you're, you're certainly, uh, you know, on the way to that path because you're, uh, I don't know the exact numbers right now, but uh, you're in the in the lead for sure, and you've got a little bit of a cushion. Now anything can happen, and we know that in this sport where you know wins and losses are uh, determined by thousands of a second, a lot of things can go differently. But you are in the driver's seat, and by all accounts at this point, uh, man, you have you've done what you set out to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've had a good year. Like I said, that we've we run four races so far, and uh, the first one at Galata I won, and then we went to Kentucky, and I got down to the semifinals there. And I mean, I I put up a good run. I was double O and one above in the semis, and lost on a good run, and then uh, went to Norwalk and then Maryland and won both of those. So, yeah, I mean, I. I really like to go to Virginia next weekend and win that one, and that would make me feel a little bit more comfortable. Because, I mean, I've always said it's, it's not over till it's over. And, I mean, there's several. You know, it's like Nick Milani. He's right behind me. He's second in the points. I mean, he's he's one of the toughest ones in the field. Right. I mean, there's several good drivers behind me. Yeah, they're they're all waiting for you to just to give them an opportunity, right? <laughs> they're just waiting for you to give them just a quick get in there and then <laughs> – and then off we go. But uh, no, that makes perfect sense. And Virginia, I think, is next weekend for the PDRA. Um, and yeah, right. like I say, if you can keep that rolling, um, then you're, you know, you, you'll uh, keep your lead, right? That's the whole plan is to keep your lead. Oh yeah, yeah. That's been the plan since the winter. So yeah. Well, TG, tell us a little bit about what uh, what you do. Um, you know, nine to five to. Uh, to keep the family going and allows you to race on the weekends and whatnot. I actually, uh, my roofer, so I'm up on, I'm out in the, out in the hot and the heat every, oh. every day, just about Monday, Monday through Sunday. <laughs> I, I bet. Yeah. Um, do you, do you do like I used to when I was roofing uh, way back when, I mean, you're up on the roof at five o'clock in the morning or sooner, just so you can try to beat the heat and then try to done done as soon as you can or how does that schedule work oh yeah yeah i was gonna say it's it's uh i think it's like 92 here today and uh we got out there we was up on the roof at 6 a.m this morning and we worked till about two o'clock and uh we got a we got a bunch of rain coming in from that uh from that hurricane coming through so we got to a stopping point got everything all dried in and and uh knocked off about two o'clock so yeah we usually try to get it get, get an early start before the before the heat gets there Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I 
I roofed when I was growing up and then uh, a hailstorm came through and all my life, my dad had told me, he said, you know, uh, listen, you live under my roof. So it's my rules. And <laughs> that man, when that hailstorm came through, it was the best thing because I roofed the house. And then the next time he tried to say that to me and I was like, no, 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 no. You live under my roof now. So I don't, you know, it uh, changed the dynamic, uh, at least for the minute, TG, not for very long, but just at least for the minute. Right. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I wish you well, um, stay hydrated and my goodness. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I can only imagine, uh, you know, the, the heat can get to you. So, uh, we're, we're rooting for you that you stay hydrated and, you know, can keep racing here a little bit and, uh, keep it rolling. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, TG, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we wish you well through the rest of the season and, uh, you know, keep it rolling and come back, come back at the end of the season and, uh, tell us how it all shook out if you don't mind. Yeah, I sure. I'd sure love to be back on there, right? Yeah, um, we're we're glad to have you and um, you know talk with the hottest top dragster racer in the world right now, TG Pascal. If you need him. Today's half track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. Like it always is, you know. I know, we all know that Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com is the go-to if you have any high horsepower legal needs. He's been there for me. He's been there for many, many drag racers because he is a drag racer. Um, So if you have questions, concerns, legal needs, there is no other choice but to go to DragRaceLawyer.com. All right, guys, girls, there was really one major major event this past week, and that was the NHRA Division Three event at the Summit Motorsports Park, the Mecca in Norwalk, Ohio, and Top Sportsman put on an absolute show. There were 37 cars that showed up. Number one, Lester Johnson. He takes the pole at 618-1 at 235 miles an hour. He debuts his new 58 Corvette. It is stunning, to say the least, as the best word I can say it. Um, I'm not a huge 58 Corvette fan, but this thing is unbelievable. Andrew Johnson, his son, put that twin turbo together. And like I said a few weeks ago, I knew it would not take long for that crew to get things working correctly again and put them back in a familiar place on the qualifying ladder, which is right at or at the top. Glenn Butcher's new combo was a close second. He goes 622 for the number two qualifying spot. Um, Really impressive piece there as well. But in your bump spot, the 32 cars was Dave Pione's 692.8 at 200 miles per hour. So in order to make that show, you had to be in the sixes and you had to run 200 mile per hour to make that field. Really amazing. And, you know, that whole group showed out with that. Pretty impressive. Very, very cool. Your winner was Steve Yeager over Dwayne Gallagher at the end. Dwayne had some problems in the final, but Steve was 003 and one above four, which would have made it tough on Dwayne anyway. Um, So Steve Yeager goes all the way from the 24 spot to the winner circle in that tough group at Norwalk. So congrats to Steve Yeager and the entire top sportsman group for putting on a show. On the top dragster side, there were 25 cars that made it out. Your number one qualifier was Jeff Conley. He goes 6-11-4 at 227 miles an hour for the top spot. And that that uh, crew had 16 cars that went less than 625. 23 of those 25 cars were in the sixes. Interesting that your bump spot for top sportsman was uh, lower than top dragster. Uh, But there were only two cars that weren't in the sixes in Top Dragster. One of those was Bo Butner. Maybe you've heard of that dude. 
He's your ex-NHRA Pro Stock World Champ. He's won in Supergas. He's a big dollar bracket race winner. Former Comp Eliminator National Champ. I mean, there is not much he does that isn't uh, doesn't end up in a final win light. But uh, Bo Butner was unbelievable in the final. Um, he competes against Emily Novak in the final. Bo is double one to Emily's very respectable 015 off the line. But Bo is just an absolute killer, and Emily was in no position at that point to outduel Bo Butner um, at the stripe. A guy who's quickly cementing himself as one of the best ever to put it in the beams. I mean, I, there are very few guys that can do it in all the classes in which he's done it. And Top Dragster was no different for Bo uh, this past weekend in Norwalk. So congrats to everyone in Top Sportsman and Top Dragster for putting on an absolute show. Additionally, Norwalk added Outlaw Top Dragster in what they call the Rumble Wars, which is essentially pro-mod, to the show. Those are two heads-up, eight-car fields to that show. And it took a 371 in the finals of both of those classes to win those events. Um, and, you know, the more I think about this and the more I say, truthfully, that would be a great addition, in my opinion, to add to all the NHRA divisional events. Um, and and because, I say, I say that because it does appear that there is a delineation between the hyper-fast top sportsman and top dragster competitors, um, you know, and what... And, what exists today and what they have in terms of different goals when it comes to what they want out of their competitive playgrounds. Um, on top of that, none of us would argue that any heads up competition is worse than an ET category for viewing sake um, and for the added spectator show value. Um, and it's an eight car field, um, such as how the event at Norwalk was set up and that might make sense, especially on the NHRA side. You know, as it stands, it was just a Norwalk series. I think they run five events in that series, what they call the Rumble Wars. But the Rumble Wars has the door car side, which is essentially Pro Mod, and then Outlaw Top Dragster. Um, and it just happened to run during the divisional event this weekend. Uh, but given the divide that there seems to be happening in the divisional ranks in terms of, you know, um, like I said, again, between the ultra fast and then the very consistent fast top dragster cars, I think this should be looked at division wide and potentially nationwide. I mean, after you kind of test it a little bit, let me know your thoughts. I'm genuinely curious what you guys and girls think about on the NHRA side, adding an outlaw top dragster in a rumble wars or, you know, elite top sportsman or, uh, heads up pro mod class in an eight car field to the NHRA divisional side. Um, I think it has some merits and certainly puts on a unique and improved spectator show if you can get there. So um, nicely done to everybody in Norwalk last week. Uh, next week, we will cover the NHRA Division Six double divisional in Woodburn, Oregon. And we will get you caught up on all of the points standings. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for just one minute. Um, and on with me now is uh, Travis Shoemake, um, who came on graciously. Really excited to have you on, Travis. And I have to say that after last week's episode, you know, I uh, was uh, very candid in my belief that, hey, I don't think the drag racing community cares that much about anybody's sexuality. And I think that's a really great positive for our, our whole sport and for all of the drag racing fans in general. But I did reach out and Travis, you were nice enough to come on and say, hey, uh, I have a different perspective on this. And so, Really excited to have you on the show, future Nitro Funny Car pilot Travis Shoemake. How are you? How are you today, Travis? Oh man, no pressure, huh? So I gotta <laughs> make this happen. I'm future Funny Car driver. All these darn articles. Now I don't know why I set myself up to 
be under so much pressure. But yeah, no, forget about the nostalgia funny car license. Let's just get straight into that nitro. Right. Uh, I'm great. I appreciate you having me on today. No, it's uh, it's really good. And I think before we really get into it, um, why, don't, why don't you take us back a little bit and talk about your childhood? I, I thought it was fantastic to have a dad that had a race car, but your dad was a was a funny car driver. I mean, that must have been unbelievably cool. You know, it, it was awesome to, to grow up around the racetrack, but I actually grew up in kind of a different chapter of my dad's life, which is kind of after he retired. I mean, I, I remember pretty vividly going to the Motorplex as it opened in the late 80s because uh, Billy Meyer owned my dad's last funny car, so we'd race there quite a bit. I remember going to Pomona, but from then on, most of my memories were as my dad being the retired color commentator at races. And so just kind of walking around the pits with him, you know, Joe Amato's lounge was my hangout or I'd run back and forth between that and cruise Hedrigans in the early nineties. And so I had a different experience than my sister and my mom who grew up in a chaparral trailer driving across the country their whole <laughs> life. Uh, so different, different lens. Uh, and then my dad and I, you know, we spent a lot of time shifter cart racing before he passed away uh, in a motorcycle accident when I was 15. Uh, but, Again, drink, racing was kind of our thing that kept us together, me and him, uh, going out to Firebird or, you know, racing our shifter cart. Um, so it's been unique to, to take 20 years away from wanting to be a race car driver to going full into saying, hey, I'm going to be a nitro driver full time on the circuit next year. No right. pressure. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just decided, heck, why not? You know, COVID makes everyone reimagine what they're doing with their lives. And uh, that standard phrase, you know, I reevaluated while I was locked up in New York City. It. Uh, Went out to the Gator Nationals earlier this year and spent some time with some friends at the track and, you know, uh, spent time with other folks of my dad's friends I hadn't met before and, you know, felt really connected with the sport. And, um, yeah, I, I guess as, as you mentioned kind of earlier in the kickoff there that um, I don't think it's a big deal and, and that I'm gay and, and I know that it's not a big deal and I don't even think that's the storyline here. And so I'm interested to talk more about it because that was certainly the feeling there was like it's a no-brainer you know, you're welcome here. And I was like, Oh no, no, I know I'm welcome here. I already go here. This is, I'm a part of the sport. This is my family. Um, so it's not necessarily that I'm trying to kick the door down into the NHRA. It's that this is something that is probably pretty standard and it just hasn't ever been recognized. And so, um, anyway, not to get ahead of what we're talking about, but so that's kind of the background on, on how suddenly I think I'm going to be a nitro funny car driver. Right. Well, th to your point though, I think, and it, uh, for those of us in the sport, we understand that drag race fans and drag racers are as inclusive as a group as there is in society, I think. I mean, honestly, like if we go, hey, if you have the same addiction we have, welcome aboard. Like, and we don't care, right? Mm -hmm. But black, white, female, male, uh, gay, purple, what it doesn't matter. You know, like we're just like, hey, come on, let's go. Uh, and those of us in the sport get that already. Uh, but... Yep. Likely, likely, uh, you know, it's probably not as well portrayed outside of the people in the sport. And we probably have to do a better job, uh, you know, if we can somehow um, changing the average Joe's mind about that. But I, I thought that was, um, it, it, I, let me guess, get this. Since you've kind of made that announcement that this is your plan and this is your goal, I mean, what, what's been the general reaction? Most very positive. You know, I think it's going to be interesting as I start to get into sponsorship conversations. You know, there are some companies that have very uh, conservative leadership or are connected with uh, conservative, you know, beliefs or values. And I didn't even know about there are some, you know, I'll, not to mention certain sponsors are like, oh, you know, that they're like the biggest funder of anti LGBT stuff. I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't I think about that. You know, there might be some hiccups down the road when it comes to throwing dollars around. But as far as the feeling at the track and the folks from uh, the community, I mean, the few articles that have comments turned on, uh, there have been some that say, you know, why is this a story? This isn't a story. There are a lot of people who want to be a funny car driver whose dad used to be a funny car driver. Why is this a, a big deal? And for me, it's just the, the representation. You know, I think the feedback has been positive. I'll definitely say that. But it's the, uh, as you mentioned, that list of, right, black, white, female, and then you said gay and purple. Well, we actually haven't had a gay driver or a purple driver yet. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the purple and the gay folks deserve to have someone to, to not necessarily look up to by any means, but to have someone in the sport that looks a lot like them. Um, you know, I think the LGBT community makes up about 6% of the population, but with teens and kids younger than, than my age, the Gen Zers, I guess is what you call them, you know, it's about 20%. Um, and so just to have someone out there who's uh, strapping in, in, into a race car that maybe 
is a little bit more like them than uh, than other drivers. I think is important for the future of our sport uh, and just for representation across sports in general. That that makes some sense. Um, I I can see how someone just saying, "Hey, that is possible for me," um, because it's someone that like that I really relate to and can relate with. Um, does that so it's possible for me, and I won't have to. I don't have to break any barriers. You know, it's it's not Jackie Robinson at that point. Like it's a, just the path is just a little bit easier. I th- I think I can see that. Um, and and is that kind of do you feel like your goal, or do you feel like um, do you feel like there is kind of a little bit of weight on your shoulders from that standpoint? I think the weight on my shoulders is weight that I've put there. Right, I'm a I like to get stuff done. You know, uh, I was a foster parent. And I went to a, an event where they were educating a bunch of pe- people about how foster care works. And I, you know, said, "Well, damn it, in nine months, I better have a kid or two, and I'm going to put my foot foot down and uh, figure out how to do this." And that's kind of what I think I've done here, with just saying I'm going to make this happen. So the pressure is more on, I think, myself to to be successful at this, um, not the pressure to be the first gay, you know, openly gay race car driver. Because I don't even mind. And again, my priority isn't the gay part as much as it's trip shoe makes son. You know, I, I've, I've laughed in a conversation with uh, NHRA was that I'd rather not script the history books of my dad's storyline. That's the bigger pressure, right? Um, yeah. Remember when Trip Shoemaker's son tried to be a driver and ruined his legacy? So I, that's where <laughs> more pressure is. Uh, I guess icing on the cake is if I become some sort of gay superhero. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I'm more worried about having a crappy reaction time and letting my dad down. Yeah, that, that, I get that. Um, I certainly get that. Well, and... Because you strike me as a guy who who prepares for his challenge and the success that you know ultimately comes from besting that challenge, walk us through what you've been doing in order to kind of set set the stage for for the success of driving a funny car. Yeah, so I uh, signed up with Frank Holly in March for a, a class down uh, to get my super comp license, and uh, about the second I landed at JFK was already scheduling with uh, Lana, my, my alcohol funny car license, or it, in this case, it's a nostalgia license because it's an auto shift uh, mechanism that they use there. So it's similar to actually John Force built the car. Okay. Um, so it's a nostalgia license. So I scheduled that. It took about two months uh, to get that actually set down in, in Bradenton. So kind of had to cool my jets, but that gave me time to map out my, my Excel document master plan. Uh, so, you know, going into the fall, ideally probably around the fall nationals at, at Texas, I'll uh, get my nitro license, if not sooner. I have confirmed that date uh, with Del Worsham, but ideally I'll, I'll try to get it done sooner, but that's our backup backup plan. You know, he's got the funny car he had for uh, funny car chaos is down there in storage. So oh, okay. uh, if and when on, I think it's uh, October 11th, I'll get that done. But basically before I flew out, I'm, I'm in Alaska right now for the 4th of July. You know, I sent out my first round of sponsorship decks and um, that'll be my plan throughout July and August is getting into those conversations. Uh, with sponsors in hopes of, of getting a little bit of more seat time, I'll definitely go back to Frank's a few more times. And, and a lot of great drivers do that. I, I want to actually let people know the insider knowledge I got from Frank Hollies is that a lot of great drivers come back quite a few times um, once they're licensed just to use his car and use his expertise on the track. Um, so hopefully get some more, some more time down in Florida. Um, and then ideally, I mean, and again, in the perfect Travis master plan is to uh, try to qualify at the world finals, which my dad won 40 years ago. It was his last uh, Wally. Uh, so it would be kind of a cool, gosh, March of this year at, the, at Gainesville, I was like, I wonder if I should be a funny car driver. So to qualify at the last race of the year uh, and be on that anniversary would be a, a pretty cool opportunity. But again, I know that life is not always perfect and you can't really plan out becoming a Nitro funny car driver in an Excel document as much as I'd like. Uh, <laughs> right, that's what I'm told. Right, Travis, that's what I'm told. Is uh, you know, it doesn't. We'd care all be to... doing it, right? I would just share the template, and we'd all just get funny car licenses if that was that easy. Right. Um, yeah. So you're you're what you're saying is, hey, I'm going through the process of of uh, learning how to drive the car, just getting the basics of that, and and you've got you know, obviously you mentioned Frank Holly and how. You know he is uh, giving you the finer points there, and then you're also raising money, and and then what about a team, and how how does that work, and uh, you know, do you have somebody kind of lined up? I mean, is that is that part of the process as well? 
that that is you know that's part of the July and August conversation as well. I, I do not want to own uh, a tractor trailer, nor do I want to have carbon fiber funding car bodies made or get a shop in in Indiana. Those are not on my priority list right now. They're like stay alive, find money. Uh, so right. I would definitely like to be a part of a multi-car team, and I know that there are a few different options out there. And I, I've started conversations, you know, with I'd say four of the eight bigger teams, um, and, and everyone has been again great and supportive. And I think that's that's the cool part. And, and obviously, the answer to, to where I'll be is typically when I when and where I find that money. Uh, so as soon as I have some something on the hook, uh, you know, we can uh, connect that to someone else's shooting star and uh, get some support internally. Because what I need is a little bit of that infrastructure support, right? I d- I've been asking people for, you know, two to $3 million. And they're like, well, break that down for me. I'm like, uh, let me phone a friend. Hey, guys, how do you break down the $3 million? <laughs> right. Uh, do I want to drive a Toyota or do I want to drive a Chevy? And I don't think I really get to pick that. But I do know that, uh, you know, as, at some point, those synergies will come together with the team, hopefully, uh, throughout this season for next. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an enormous, um, it's enormous project, really. I mean, and, and it is a fascinating amount of money, at least in my mind, to run those things for the entire season. But um, it feels like that you've got a, you've, you've got a pretty good handle on what needs to be done. And, and you've made some, some serious steps, you know, in that right direction. Feel like there's anything that you maybe don't have a good a control over as uh, what you'd like to at this point in process? Yeah, and I guess that'd just be my reaction time. No, <laughs> no, I need to get a tree uh, put in my put in my New York apartment. Uh, I don't feel like I have control over any of this. It's just such a wild adventure so far, and uh, you know I know that money talks, and I'm just really trying to focus on that part. Um, I, and I'll continue to work on my driving skills, um, but for me, I think my biggest concern is identifying that money and telling the story and, and sharing my value proposition, uh, not only for the sport. I mean, I think the sport is just in such a great place right now to, to invest in, but also me as a driver and, you know, what different, differentiates me from a Austin Proc or a Jordan Vandergriff besides being gay. You know, it's, it's important that I, I find that storyline because uh, I don't certainly want to, you know, use this gay card as kind of a marketing gimmick. Uh, I think I've got a unique story beyond that. So that's really my focus or the part that stresses me out the most is uh, – I lay at night wondering if Arizona Ice Tea is ever going to call me back. <laughs> right, right, for sure. Well, I I had the same thought. Uh, I mean, you to your point, you've got a compelling enough story as it is. Um, and like I said, I I um, you know I just don't care. Um, and I think that's the general thought by most drag racing fans is you know um, what my friends do behind closed doors after we meet for dinner, I don't have really, um, you know, that much opinion over. And so, and and hopefully they don't have an opinion on what I do behind closed doors either, you know? Um, and so, because, well, uh, we won't go there, but, um, the, the point is that, you know, they, they, everybody has their own thing and, and that's fine. That's, that kind of was part and make the world go round, but it does feel like the corporations, um, are interested in that and are at least willing to have that conversation because of that angle. I mean, is that an accurate statement or not so much? Yeah, I mean, I think I spent most of the month, the month of June is Pride Month, and I, I screenshot about 100 different companies that turn their logo rainbow, right? There's a there's a rainbow Chevy logo, a rainbow yeah. Ford logo, a rainbow. Just say, hey, later, hey, remember that one time last year for that month that you were a super gay company? Uh, I'm going to need you to step up to the plate a little <laughs> bit longer than those 30 days of the year. So, yes, there is certainly uh, opportunity there. I think that, that that would be silly to not say that this is a, a different pocket of marketing dollar as well. And so to, to not look into it is, you know, I, I know everyone has their different things that they do in the bedroom, but if mine is able to bring more dollars to the drag race and fill a funny car field, uh, I have no problem leveraging it. And the, the last part, too, I was going to say on the kind of the representation is I, I got a, a message from a historian and he said, you know, as a teenager, uh, actually, Travis, I never really followed drag racing after I was a teenager, but I had a Shirley Muldowney poster in my room. And it was just because she was different than what everyone else was. And I knew that I was different. And so I think that's another that really kind of empowered me or, or hearing that was, you know, I don't watch drag racing anymore. But I knew as a teenager, hey, she's not like all the other guys. And and I'm interested in just the one thing I remember about the sport was that this person was different, trying to do something different. Um, And so I just I think it's adding that other lens or that other 
kind of level of representation that, that makes me want to do this even more. Um, but yeah, I, I will need to lean into it. Or I think there's an opportunity to lean into it um, just simply for the marketing dollars that may be available. Yeah, no, um, understood that. And, and I'm with you that, I mean, I guess whatever we can do to get dollars into our sport, I think is, is good. Um, and if the corporations, you know, need that to, to write the check, then, you know, it's good for all of us, I think at the end of the day, but, uh, Travis, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I always feel like I should always stand behind my words. And so, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I, um, talked about you and what was going on in the media and I, and, and I was like, man, I need to reach out to this guy directly. And our conversations have been nothing but amazing. I, I really, uh, just genuinely think you're a good dude and I'm pulling for you. And I think all of fast brackets nation is pulling for you. So do this, man, uh, get your stuff done, make your run, get it done, qualify at the finals, the world finals, and then come back and talk to us and tell us about the journey that was. Oh man, I got, I just got the chills. I literally got the chills. I'm excited to uh, be your, your second show in November. Then it sounds like I'm going to make this happen. And, uh, I appreciate your support and, and everyone out there. Hey, and if anyone wants to sponsor a nitro burning funny car, <laughs> you feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Uh, where, where do people follow you on Twitter or Facebook or how, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, both on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Travis Shoemake. Um, pretty simple there. And then I, uh, yeah, Travis at TravisShoemake.com. If you have a question like or an inquiry or a, a thought or feedback. Yeah, that's great. Travis, appreciate you coming on. Uh, wish you well, and uh, hopefully we will talk again soon. Come back and uh, let us know how it goes, huh? All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was the great Travis Shoemake. Okay, as we hit the mile per hour cone, Truthfully, folks, we have gotten a little bit over the time limit for this week's show, so we are going to speed through the traps and hit right to the stripe. We're going to take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 73, and there it is. There is the wind light in the beautiful, sweet, sweet sounds of Gloria. Goodness gracious, if you don't know why we play that, go back to episode nine and man, just sit, just take it all in. Cause we've had a lot of new listeners. And if you, you don't know, just uh, bring it on in, go listen to episode nine and come on back to us. But we had a great, great week this week. Again, we talked, um, you know, we talked about drag racing uh, and why, uh, how lucky we are to uh, be racing in this great country. Um, we talked uh, the latest race results from Norwalk and maybe a new twist on uh, what we should be doing at those divisional events. And we had two great, great guests on. One, TJ Pascal. He is the hottest tra dragster, drag racer in the planet right now. So let's see if he can keep that rolling. I think he can. I think my man is on a heater that will not be stopped this year. Um, and then Travis Shoemake. Um, he is a future Nitro Funny Car driver and um, a guy that I was really happy to have on to uh, to, to talk. Uh, you know why why we should have um, why we should have new people in the in in this series that way. But if you have comments, questions, or curse words, you know there are three ways to get at me. First of all, you can go to the Facebook page using Messenger. Secondly, you can hang out in the left-hand lane. Um, and wait until I go to pass you and then you can, you know, holler at me that way. Or you can use the email fastbracketsatoutlook.com. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe.
So it appears that you've become so popular now with the police officers helping everybody get over in the right-hand lane that they'll just let you off the hook for speeding on your way home from drag race? Chris, they clearly appreciate the, the PSA that I'm doing on a weekly basis about these problematic people that are hanging out in the left-hand lane and not moving their butts when they do that. They, it, they know it's a problem just like I know it's a problem, just like you know it's a problem. And, you know, I think it's all right to, to thank people from – show a little of appreciation. I think that's good, and that's what they were doing. They're just – I'm sure that's what they were doing. They were blinking their lights at me, show, showing the cherries, just saying, hey – Rex, thank you for your efforts. It's not going unappreciated. 